Good morning. How's everybody doing? Oh, it's that kind of morning, is it? All right, fair enough. Nine o'clock was a little rough for me, too. Let's try it one more time. Good morning. Thank you. My name is Jason Monahan, and I am filling in for Pastor Scott this morning. He and Lana are um, off doing a wedding at a, uh, at a different church. It's a very special wedding that they were requested for, and so they will not be here today. So if you finally got your friend or relative to show up to come with you to church because the speaker is so awesome and now they got a substitute, I apologize. I'll try not to, uh, to let you down. So if today stinks for you, come back next week. I promise he really is a, a great communicator. Um, but we are continuing in our series this morning, Fighting with Family. And last week we looked at um, one of the relationships. We're taking a look at a number of different family relationships, the challenges that we face in those particular relationships, and then key aspects or resources that we have, essential things that we're going to need in those relationships if we want them to be healthy. So last week, Scott looked at the relationship of marriage and the importance of having humility in marriage. And anyone who has been married for longer than a week knows that humility is, is a necessary thing if you actually want to stay married. If you don't, you're fine. You know everything and that'll be fine. But you might want to go into the conversation of loading the dishwasher with the possibility that he or she might do it differently and, and just kind of begin that discussion. I can't go into all that. If you want to listen to it, go back. It was a great message. This morning, we are going to talk about the conflict that arises in the relationship with our parents and the importance of having forgiveness in order to reach some sort of healthy place in those relationships. And I am actually not a good person for this message. I, I don't have a great relationship with my father. Um, I don't have some great story of, of forgiveness. In fact, I struggle to this day with forgiving my dad. So um, I, in an attempt not to be a hypocrite, I'm going to invite you to go on this journey with me and maybe we can figure out together uh, how to, to forgive those of us who have difficult relationships with our parents. In fact, just so that I know who's in the room with me, if you have a wonderful relationship with your parents, if you will, just raise your hand. Okay, wait, put your hands down. How many of you, your parents are in the room with you right now? Okay, you put your hands down. Now let me see again. Who has a wonderful relationship? Proudly raise your hand, the lucky ones, good. Okay, how many of you wish you had a better relationship with at least one of your parents? Okay, yeah, those hands never go up as high. How many of you, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but are still at a place where you say, I don't care. I don't want a relationship with my parent. That's a place that I've been for a long time. And I don't want to come across as overdramatic because no doubt there are some of you out there who have had much worse times than I have growing up. And your parent, your dad or mom did things that are far worse than what I'm going to describe. But this is my journey. And just because you have a deeper wound than me doesn't mean that mine doesn't hurt and doesn't infect me. And the principles that hopefully we can gather together about how to deal with those wounds and move towards health will be universal even if what you experienced is far worse than what I did. I remember the first time that I was, 
I'll say traumatized, which I know is a trigger word for some people, and especially the older generation, it's been overused and you just kind of want to roll your eyes. But I define trauma as anything that happens to you that actually changes the wiring of your brain in a way that you respond to things differently from that day forward. Whether it was a little thing or a big thing, if your brain noticed that this hurt you so bad that it's going to now look at everyone differently, it's going to treat people differently based on what happened, that's what I call trauma. Wounds. And the first time I really remember my dad handing me one of those, I was 11 years old. We were in my room, and it was a mess. My room is still a mess. And he said, you need to clean up your room. And as 11, my brain was going through growth spurts, and I began to realize that there was separation between my parents and I, that I was my own person with my own room. And so I said, well, Dad, if it's my room, why do I have to clean it? I don't mind if it's this way. And my dad responded the way a lot of dads do. It's not your room. It's my room. It's in my house. And if you want to live here, you operate by my rules. And if you don't like it, you can get out. I remember thinking, like, my dad would kick me out of the house. Like, and he was mad and stormed out. He didn't joke like I just did. That was a reference to an Eddie Murphy thing. You're too young. But it really hurt me. I remember thinking, like, hold on. My, my dad is, like, my parent. He, don't, he loves me. Like, his job is to protect me. Why, he'd kick me out? And I never forgot that. I remember, I can picture where we were standing in the room. And it, it hurt me because I remember thinking, like, I thought you were supposed to rely on your dad for everything. Like, he would always be there for you. You can't do anything that would just make him separate the relationship from you. Now, I understand now, after being a dad and, and growing up, that he was just mad. He lost his temper. He said something he didn't mean. But it still affected me. And then when I was 15 years old, he gave us the speech. You know, the... Um, just because mommy and daddy don't love each other anymore doesn't mean that we don't love you. Speech. We're getting a divorce. And I was sitting on the end of the bed. My little brother was right behind me here. My mom was there, and my dad was sitting on the floor with his back up against the wall. I can, I can go back there like it was yesterday. It was the first time I saw my dad cry. And I remember as a kid just thinking like, I just want you to be okay. Like, I don't care. I didn't understand that. I was 15. I didn't really understand the decision he was making. I just knew that my dad was crying, my mom was upset, and I just wanted everything to be okay. And whatever I did to contribute to this, I would try not to do it. And what, I, just, I just want mommy and daddy to be okay. I didn't really get what was going on. But my life was very different from that moment. My mom got very depressed. My mom's amazing. She's a wonderful mom. She did the best that she could. But the environment wasn't necessarily the greatest. There was a lot of lack of supervision. My dad got to play the fun dad that we just visited on the weekend. And my mom dealt with everything else. And over the years, I remember when they were going through the process of divorce, um, when the big, thick manila envelope showed up, the dishes needed to be done and I needed to disappear because mom was going to do a lot of cussing and yelling, crying when she got the, the new 14th version of the agreement of, you know, anyway. 
But I never blamed my dad when I was a kid. It wasn't until I became an adult and got married myself that I kind of went back in time and reprocessed everything that happened to me and my view was different. See, I've been married now, so I know what it takes to walk out on your family, and now I'm mad at him. Because before I was just a kid. I just wanted my dad to be happy, and now I, I fully understand you made a selfish choice. I've experienced pain in my marriage. I've experienced trouble. But you chose to walk out on me. Now, I'm not trying to be harsh on anyone who's experienced a divorce. This is not the church saying divorce is bad. This is just the raw, true feelings of a hurt kid. So please don't in interpret that as, as, as me putting anybody down for any reason. As a kid who grew up, I dealt with a lot of pain. My dad continued to do things that disappointed me, that hurt me. At my wedding, I remember my dad called me outside right before the service, and I thought, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get, like, you know, the, the fatherly advice. And he said, hey, I just wanted to let you know, I'm not going to take any pictures with your mom. Make sure that doesn't even come up. I was getting ready to walk down the aisle, and I just remember being like, are you serious? You're worried about yourself right now? This, this is... He's seen my son maybe three or four times in his entire life. I hold a lot of anger for those things. And I didn't really know what to do. In my mind, I was protecting my family from him. You hurt me, you're not going to hurt my son. I'm not going to expose him to this. So we're kind of cut off. So we text every once in a while, but we rarely ever see each other. And then this week, when I was avoiding preparing for this message, I listened to a podcast with an author named Aaron Meyer who wrote a book called The Culture Map. And she's a business consultant that works with huge companies like Netflix and Apple and different, and she basically helps them when, say, Netflix opens up a, a, another division in Japan. She teaches them about the differences in the culture. You can't lead a company in Japan the same way you do in the United States. The culture is completely different. They have a completely different set of rules that they operate by, and you have to know that if you actually want to have a, a healthy business. She tells a story one time of a speech that she gave in Japan, and she gave this speech. She went, when she finished, she asked the, the crowd, she said, does anybody have any questions? And she waited for a few minutes, and nobody raised their hand, so she sat down. And then her counterpart got up and asked again and said, you know, a little reiteration and said, does anybody have any questions? And then he just waited. And after a couple of minutes, he called on two or three different people that all had really great questions. They were insightful, and it really changed the, the whole tone of it. And afterwards, she asked him, she said, how did you know how to call on those people? And he said, I looked for the people with bright eyes. That's the way he put it. In their culture, they don't raise their hand. In their culture, when the speech is over, if you ask about questions, the majority of people were looking down and away. There was only a few people that were actually looking right at the speaker. And that's how he knew to call on them. It was just a different set of rules. It was completely different. But she thought they obviously didn't engage in this or they didn't have any questions. It could have been a huge misunderstanding. 
In another illustration she gave, she was in a conference with a French business owner who was opening up a business in Japan, and she had a counterpart that was an expert in both languages, and she goes through and she teaches these eight principles, these eight key points that are completely different that you have to learn about the differences of dealing with a business in Denmark versus Japan versus Germany versus the United States. And her counterpart in Japan, his job was to study and come to the meeting with real life illustrations and examples to explain and, and reiterate her point. So she's going through and she's teaching this French business owner about her principles. At the end of each business or principle, she would look to her Japanese counterpart for him to speak up and give the illustration and he just sat there silently. And so she frustrated, went on to the next point and she thought maybe he didn't prepare Maybe he didn't you know, do anything, he doesn't have any confidence, maybe he's super sharp, what is going on here? So after the next point, she looked to him, he had nothing to say. She said, did I communicate wrong? Did I, I, I do something the night before? Was I not clear? So she kept going and she explained and she finally just went through all of them. And she was like, I don't care anymore, I don't know what his problem is. And then at the very end she thought, well I don't care if he prepared or not, if this humiliates him then fine, I'm frustrated. And she looked at him and she said, do you have anything to offer? And he said, well, yes, thank you. And he offered beautiful illustrations for every point, just like she had asked him to. But in his culture, he needed to be invited into it. You don't just speak up when the boss is speaking. She didn't understand that. She made these huge mistakes. And you might be asking, well, what the heck does this have to do with dealing with our parents? Well, after listening to that, it finally hit me. My dad comes from one of these different worlds. And he's not from Japan, but he was born in 1945 in Philadelphia. I was born in 1976 in Virginia Beach. Those are completely different worlds. His dad, who taught him how to be a father, was born in 1912. You don't think he learned some different rules growing up? in the Great Depression as an 11-year-old than I did worrying about cleaning my room? It finally hit me. I'm holding him accountable to these rules that he doesn't even understand. So I'm mad at him for all these things, for him operating in his culture because he's not doing things the way that I do things in my culture. My dad... When I was 25 years old, I met Jesus. I became a part of this incredible church. I have an amazing family that pours into me and helps me and has completely changed my perspective. He doesn't have that. His dad raised him Catholic and didn't even show up to my mom and dad's wedding because he was already divorced and that was one of their rules. He lived in a completely different world. In fact, you need to realize that not just parents, but our spouses, they come from a different world too. My wife grew up in Beulahville, North Carolina. Okay, she had as many people in her graduating class as I had in my third period French. Like her dad was a, a CPA and a farmer and her mom stayed home to help raise her and, and she was raised in a Christian home. They're incredible people. The environment, the culture that she grew up in is completely different than mine. And yet I'm shocked that we don't load the dishwasher the same way? 
how are we shocked that people who come from completely different worlds don't magically perfectly mesh together? We need to expect that those people are going to do things and think differently from us. We shouldn't hold forgiveness from people and say, well, well, if you don't do everything the way that I have it in my head, which I won't even tell to you yet, then I'm going to get mad at you and I'm going to hold that against you. We ought to go into every single relationship, whether it be with our parents, with our spouses, with our friends, with coworkers, thinking this person comes from a different world. We are not going to do things the same way. I ought to think differently about this. I ought to listen more, ask more questions, be a little bit slower to get angry. But what do we do now? What do I do when, even though I realize my dad came from a different world, I'm still mad. I'm still angry. And I don't, I don't know how to navigate dealing with a relationship with a dad who's now in his 70s. A harsh reality is he's going to die soon. I don't have forever. How do I navigate that relationship? And when I don't know what to do, I turn to God. I look at the Bible. So I don't have any advice for you. I'm going to go the same place I went this week. In Matthew 18... 15 through 17, Jesus lays out for us how to deal with relationships when people do things that hurt us. Now, you have to understand, when I read this, this is a different culture. This is over 2,000 years ago in the Middle East. Don't read this for face value. We'll read it the way it says it, and then we'll try to look at how this applies to us in modern day. So he says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Stop. In today's culture, we don't do a whole lot of face-to-face -face just between us. Now, when somebody hurts me, I can go on Facebook and make some very vague, passive-aggressive comment about the lack of leader. Don't you hate these kind of people? He says, don't, don't do that. Don't gossip. Don't go to the person that has hurt you privately just between the two of you. So I need to go to my dad, and I need to give him the chance. I need to tell him, I'm sorry. I know this isn't fair. I know you grew up in a different world, but this is how I feel. And at least give him the opportunity to respond to that. I don't know how he'll respond because I've never really given him the chance. I've held this anger secretly for a long time. And it says if they listen to you, then you've won them over. But... If they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Again, this is, it doesn't mean that after that I go and take two people and go, I said this to my dad and this is what it, that's not. In today's context, I think really what it's saying is you need to go find one or two people that you actually trust and get their perspective on this. Bring in outside people because you are too much in your own head, your own feelings. A lot of times when you're hurt, all you can see is the pain. You can't really look at this objectively. Bring some people in. And in my opinion, I like to talk to older people. They've just been around longer. They know more, even without the internet. And, and say, this is how I feel. This is what I said to my dad. And this is what he said back to me. He said, pull up your bootstraps. Quit being a wuss. 
You think I went to therapy with my dad? You know, I, I don't know. I'm not saying he said that, but I, I can share that with somebody who has an outside perspective, who's not completely overwhelmed by the emotion and can actually think and maybe give me some good advice as to what to do. Uh, let's see. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, again, it doesn't mean I'm going to go get my dad and bring him up here and be like, hey, guys, guess what he said? I think if we look at what the church was back then, it was a very small community. These are people who lived. They didn't drive across town to a big building to go to church. The church to them was the people in their community. The people who knew them, knew both parties, knew what their roles were, knew their personalities. Bring in that community. So if you have a small group that knows you, or in my case, when I'm dealing with my dad, I should probably go and get my brothers. Maybe they, if we all three sit down, you know, if my dad responds hard-heartedly and doesn't want to hear it, then maybe if we all go, it can be a different conversation. And before you read too much into treat them as a tax collector or a pagan, remember how Jesus treated the pagans and the tax collectors. He's not saying, if they don't listen at this point, treat them like garbage. What he's saying is stop holding them accountable to your cultural rules. Treat them as a person outside of the church who doesn't even know the rules. Love them, forgive them, sacrifice for them but stop expecting them to understand the way you do things and, and hoping that they will be the person you think they should be. Let go of that. But that is hard. I, I don't know if I can do it. Because there is a part of me that just wants to go, can't I just keep him at arm's length? You know, can't I, can't I just say, like, you know, many people do today, he is toxic, and I don't want toxicity in my life, so I'm just going to put up boundaries and we're through. Okay? Hashtag self-care. Like, <laughs> that is not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus commands us to forgive. He doesn't say, if you're my followers, here's some advice. I think it's a really good idea. If you're a super Christian, put the cherry on top. He says, in fact, this is one of the scariest scriptures in the Bible. Farther down in the same passage, he says, if you choose to forgive those who sin against you, then my father will forgive you. But if you do not choose to forgive those, then my father also will not forgive you. What? That's some of the strongest language in the entire Bible. The whole thing that Jesus came was so that we can be forgiven and our relationship would be restored with God. So what the heck does that mean? He's not saying that if you have an issue with your dad, then you're not going to heaven. Which if you still think Christianity is all about getting into heaven, then you haven't been here very long. Keep listening. What he's saying is, these are all my kids. I love you all. You can't say you love me and yet you hate my son or my daughter. It doesn't work that way. The hatred and the anger that you hold on to is going to affect our relationship. 
In fact, that's finally what I've come to realize, choosing not to forgive is saying, I want to hold on to this anger to protect me from you. But there are side effects to doing that. There's a great quote that Scott gave in one of his previous messages that says, if you don't heal from what hurt you, you will bleed on those who didn't cut you. And for the last 18 years, I have bled all over my wife. And I bled over my son. The great irony is that I struggle to forgive my dad for his mistakes, his choices, his sins. But my greatest fear in life is that my son will grow up and not forgive me from mine. So, I have no choice. I have to forgive. I don't want to ruin the relationships in my life. There's a reason that God commands us to forgive. It's not to let the other person off the hook. It's for us. My relationship with my dad is connected to my relationship with God, with my wife, with my mom, with my son. The reason that God commands us to forgive is because we have to. You will never have healthy relationships if you don't understand that the person you're dealing with comes from a different world and will fail you and disappoint you countless times. The only way to keep going, the only way to be married for 40 years is to choose to forgive over and over and over and over again. The second you choose not to forgive, you choose to end the relationship and you damage something inside of yourself that can't be healed until you forgive. So, I got a phone call to make this week. Maybe you do too. Rely on your church Rely on your family. Rely on the people. That's why we create small groups. And know that God will be with you every step of the way. The person you're talking to, God's known them from the day they were born. And he loves them just as much as he loves you, as much as you love your own child and more. He will help us. But this is a backbone of his community is forgiveness in relationships. So let's see what happens. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for being there for me to turn to when I, I don't know what else to do. Thank you for being there for us. Thank you for creating a community that's built on the foundation of forgiveness so that we can experience what real love is. You command us to love and to forgive each other. Help us to have the courage to step out and have those difficult conversations. 
and to put the faith in you to trust that if we do what you say, that even if things don't go perfect with the other person, that ultimately our lives will be better. We're not doing this because we think they deserve it. We're doing it because we trust you. Thank you for being somebody that we can trust, that we can have faith in. Help us as we try to mend our relationships with our parents or whatever other relationships that we're dealing with. Amen. All right. Thank you for being with us this morning.